Hello and welcome. This is Bruce Bruchon, and this is the Geopolitical Corner podcast. We have a good episode today, episode number five in our series, and it involves America's mindset. Originally, I had planned a different episode involving Israel and its biblical promised land, but I was going over it and I I was just skipping a lot of it. Not skipping, but summarizing stuff. And it just wasn't turning out as good as I wanted it to be. I was trying to fit it in a time slot. So when I do end up releasing those episodes, it's probably going to be two parts to them. But anyway, so today we're going to go over a somewhat easier topic, and that's America's mindset. The American way, as many people like to call it. So let's get started. Part 1, The Colonial Period and the Birth of America So, when looking at a mindset of a nation, the United States is probably the easiest nation to look at, and this is just because it's relatively young in the world stage when compared to many other states. I mean, when you look at a mindset of a nation such as Spain, that has existed in various forms for basically the dawn of man, it's difficult to pinpoint the mindset because you have to look at all this history. But America has only been around for about 200 some years now. And even though that is a long time because, you know, it's multiple lives, it's still just not that long for a nation to be around when compared to many others. This isn't to say that America didn't have its own various forms pre-Columbian age, but it is to say that America as we know it didn't exist until this colonial period. So what exactly is this colonial era I'm talking about? Well, kids, in order to answer that, we're going to have to go back to the age of exploration. do 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 Okay, I don't know why I was going to make that dumb noise. But anyway, all jokes aside, so the age of exploration happened because this powerful empire in the eastern Mediterranean Sea, known as the Ottoman Empire, conquered a lot of land. And once they conquered a lot of land, they essentially blocked off this trade network known as the Silk Road, and they had a monopoly on it. Well, the Europeans liked these goods that came from um, Eastern Asia on this Silk Road, and so they were trying to find a way around this Ottoman monopoly. It is because the Ottomans had this monopoly over the Silk Road and therefore Asian goods that many Europeans began seeking alternative routes to Asia in order to obtain these Asian goods which they desired. There's two states I want to mention here, and that's Portugal and Spain. So Portugal was the first state to essentially partake in this age of exploration. And how they did this was in order to get around the Ottoman trade monopoly, they did exactly that. They went around them. So they traveled around Africa, the Horn of Africa, known as the Cape of Good Hope. And they traveled to Asia from there. Now, the second state, which is basically the second state to partake in the age of exploration, would be the newly formed state at the time of Spain. Spain had recently formed out of two other states, the states of Castile and Aragon, and they had recently finished the Reconquista, so they were doing pretty good to say the least. 
They were very powerful and wealthy. And one day, a man came knocking on their door. This man, this Italian man, had basically been turned down by all other states in Europe. Or not all other states, but a good deal of states had turned this man down. And he came knocking on the door of the king and queen of Spain. This man who knocked on the door of the king and queen of Spain was named Christopher Columbus. Maybe you've heard of him. Anyway, Christopher Columbus had this crazy idea that he presented to the king and queen of Spain. And that was he was going to travel west in order to get to the Asian states and begin trading with them. Upon hearing this plan, the king and queen of Spain thought to themselves, this is absolutely absurd. I mean, no one had even attempted anything like this. And here this guy is standing in front of us being like, hey, I think I can go west to get to Asia. I mean, it was insane to say the least. But they said, okay, Christopher, you can have some ships and some supplies and you can have your great exploration. Now, let me explain the thinking behind this. They gave him the bare minimum of supplies needed. So if he did fail, if he did die at sea and all of his ships and supplies were lost, they wouldn't take a tremendous loss. But if he did succeed, they would be a very wealthy nation, to say the least. I mean, they would have direct access to Asia. So Christopher Columbus traveled west, and he didn't land in Asia. He landed on a whole new continent known as the Americas. He didn't know at the time. He still thought he was in Japan. But anyway, he basically discovered a whole new continent. We would know it as North America, but you might just know it as America because some people think North and South America are one continent, but that's a whole nother topic. Anyway, so then this caused many Europeans to claim and settle in this new world, as they called it, this new landmass that they discovered. And this is where America essentially gets its start. So upon hearing about the discovery of the New World by the hands of the Spanish, the European state of England desired to profit from it and obtain the resources found in the land. The first two attempts to colonize the New World by England were quite poor, honestly. They're usually grouped together as the same colony, but they were definitely two separate attempts. The latter of which is more infamous than the first, and they're known as the Roanoke Colony. The first attempt was known as the Lane Colony, and it failed because it only consisted of men in the colony. And if you think about it, only having men in the late 1500s, I believe, is not ideal for long-term settlement. The second colony was the White Colony, and it just one day mysteriously disappeared. I'm not going to get into all that, but yeah, it just disappeared and it's a huge mystery as to what happened to them. But the third attempt made by England, known as the Jamestown Colony, was quite successful. But, to begin with, the Jamestown Colony wasn't doing too well. At the very start of the colony, it was struggling to survive, the people were starving, and... And they were even practicing cannibalism because there just wasn't enough food. They were eating anything they could find. And it wasn't until the strict leadership of John Smith that they were able to survive. Yet another famous John came from the Jamestown colony, and that's John Rolfe. Now, Rolfe brought tobacco 
to the Jamestown colony, but where he got the tobacco seeds is a little bit of a mystery because the only people who would have had the tobacco seeds before him would have been the Spanish and the Native Americans. And the Spanish made it illegal for any Spaniard to sell or give a tobacco cop to anyone aside from another Spaniard. And this was just due to the fact that tobacco was so valuable back in Europe and the Spanish wanted a monopoly on it. Once news of this tobacco seed and the tobacco itself reached England, many people left England to head to the Jamestown colony to basically grow tobacco and gain wealth. Now, this caused Jamestown to have a massive population increase, and this made the colony suitable for now long-term settlement, because with these people coming into the colony, they also brought various resources with them. Now, I'm not going to dive too far into it yet, but I want you to think for a second about the people who are leaving England to settle in the Jamestown colony. Now, again, I'm not going to dive into it quite yet, I'll come back to it, but I want you to go ahead and start thinking about this. And I'm just giving you a slight hint for later. I wanted you to think about it some. So that's a brief history of the settlement of Jamestown, the first American colony. But now we're going to focus on a second type of colony. So some colonies basically were settled because of, you know, something like tobacco, a method of making money. The second colony would be a religious colony. The most popular example of one of these religious colonies would be the Pilgrims and the Mayflower. The Pilgrims, like many others, left England in order to settle in the New World to practice their religion. The reason why they were able to do so is because the King of England basically said this, Look, you heathens. You will not practice your religion in our country. You will abide by the Church of England, and that is final. But, but, I'll tell you what. There's this landmass west of here, this gigantic continent, and it's basically a new world. And if you settle in this new world and begin a colony under the crown, we will allow you to practice your religion. Unsurprisingly, many people decided to take them up on this. You see, religion was very important to them, and they didn't have many rights in England anyway, so why not just head to this new world and make their own life? As more and more people traveled to the new world and settled down, and the colonies became even more well-established, England now known as Great Britain, continued to have very little say-so in the ruling of these people. The colonists were very much so self-ruling people. Now, there are multiple reasons for this. Firstly, communication was not like it is today. For example, we have instant messaging. Your friend can receive a message from you within milliseconds. But... Back then, the fastest form of communication would have been by letter, and it takes six weeks to travel from Great Britain to the colonies, and that's a minimum amount of time. It could take two to three months. And that's my second point, just the distance between the colonies and Great Britain. If the minimum travel time from the colonies to Great Britain during this time was six weeks, you can only imagine how a two-way system would work. 
Here's a tad bit of a thought experiment here. So someone named Joe is sitting on his couch in England, and he's like, I want to write a letter to my friend Josh living in the colonies. So Joe writes his letter, and he sends it on its way. Now, it's going to take six weeks for that letter to travel on ship to the colonies. Once Josh reads this letter and responds, it's going to take minimum of six more weeks in order for Joe to read it back in Great Britain. Now, this is very problematic because what Joe sent was three months ago at this point upon receiving a response. So because of these two reasons, the colonies were basically left alone to their own devices. Later on, a very complicated event happened known as the Seven Years' War. To summarize, England and France duked it out. The end result was France losing a lot of land and England gaining a lot of stuff. That's very briefly summarizing it. There was many other nations involved. The point is, England gained a lot of stuff, but they also gained a lot of debt. In order to pay off this debt, they raised taxes throughout their empire. One such place that saw a massive tax increase was the colonies. The colonies, at this point, had been basically left alone for a long time. And now, they had to pay taxes, and they did not like that. Because the colonists were now taxed, and they didn't actually have any representation in the English Parliament, they felt a need to rebel, and the end result was the United States of America, the good old U.S. of A. I'm going to pause here for a second, and pause American history here in order to analyze the building blocks of America and how they pertain to the American way in part two of this episode. Part two, the entrepreneur and the individual. Hopefully, you did actually take some time and think about what I told you to think about in part one, and you didn't cheat out and just decide, I'm not going to think about it. This is what the video's, I mean, episode is supposed to tell me anyway. But, you know, that's aside from the point. I just hope you took some time to think. Anyway, so I asked you to think about what type of people would move to the United States during this early colonial age. And we know that they came to the United States for one of two reasons. And that would be one either to come for basically money and wealth, or two, to come for religious reasons. Now, let's ask ourselves first off about these two types of people. They are leaving the institutions back home and risking everything to come to a land that has no institutions, and basically, aside from what the previous colonists have established, nothing in the New World. Which, I mean, <laughs> it's kind of wild, honestly. These people are leaving everything behind to pursue a life that, you know, isn't that positive that it'll be a good life. I mean, on one hand, they might get what they want. On the second hand, they might die by a bear. I mean, they in, actually, in fact, they didn't even know if what animals were there. I mean, it's not like there was a detailed list of what they might encounter. I mean, I'm sure there was some accounts, but, you know, it wasn't like it was wide known like everything that was in the new world sorry for the uh kind of tangent there 
it's just kind of a realization. Anyway, so I would say that the American people were individuals. You see, these early colonists had to be individuals to leave England and settle in the New World. I mean, they were leaving everything behind. They were leaving the pack. They were leaving the group to hopefully pursue a better life. And I don't know how you can get more individualistic than that. Now, I know what some of you are thinking right now. You're like, Bruce, not everyone in the United States is an individual. And let me explain more so what I mean by this. A culture of a state can belong in one of two categories, typically, and that's either a collective culture or an individualistic culture. In an individualistic culture, they value the individual. From a young age, you're told you can do what you want to do and how you want to do it. You can dress how you want to dress, and you can just basically live your life how you want to live it. In stark contrast to this, a collective culture values the unity of the people. They want everyone to be very similar in their manner. They want everyone to follow by the same etiquette and regulations. This isn't to say individualism isn't completely allowed in such societies, but rather there's a sacrifice of some individualistic freedoms to benefit the combined consciousness of the people. In order to contrast America's individualistic culture, I'll use France as an example for a collective culture. In France, there's a certain idea of being French. You have to talk in a certain way, dress in a certain way, and think in a certain way in order to fit this, I guess, boundary of peoplehood. And it's kind of absurd to think about from an American perspective, like, oh, they don't have to do that. But it's just ingrained in them that this is the way they need to act. People also in these societies tend not to move far away from home. While in America, you know, you tend to move anywhere in the country to pursue a job or an interest. In France, it's just not like that as much. They tend to move within miles of their home if they even leave their hometown. So hopefully you can see how it takes an individual to leave from England and settle in this new land. But we're going to talk about something else, and it also still involves being an individual, and that's being an entrepreneur. An entrepreneur is someone who organizes and operates a business, and America's history is filled with these individuals. So, for example, in the past you have people like Henry Ford and Thomas Edison, while today you have people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos. For the most part, every entrepreneur is an individual. You see, oftentimes when an entrepreneur begins a company, Many people tell them they're crazy and that their idea is stupid. But an entrepreneur says often that I think there's something here. I think there's potential. And since America is already full of individuals who left from England, the possibility of an entrepreneur is more possible. Not only is America filled with these individuals during the colonial age that increases the chance of um, a nation producing entrepreneurs, but the individuals who left from Great Britain to head to the colonies were entrepreneurs themselves in a sense. You see, while not everyone managed to begin a business, many people left from Great Britain in order to establish a business or grow something like tobacco. 
they were early entrepreneurs. Now, a very interesting question, especially when comparing the United States to many other nations, is how the United States has managed to maintain this culture. You see, there has been some cultural shifts here and there, but for the most part, this concept of the American way has consisted throughout the United States history. And that's what we're going to be answering in the next part of this episode. Part 3. The Continual Opportunity So why is it that the American way has persisted throughout time? Why is it that many Americans today still believe that hard work and dedication can lead to your happiness and achieving your dreams? Furthermore, why is it that America still values the individual when many other nations have shifted culturally to a more collective culture? And finally, why is it that America still is able to produce entrepreneurs today? In order to answer this, we have to look at some more American history, but I'm just going to summarize it and say that America has seen several waves of immigration throughout its history. The reason for these phases of immigration is because the United States has always been a land of opportunity. Though, various people groups may not have had an equal chance of bettering themselves in the United States, the opportunity has always been there. So, for example, after the colonial age, there was a chance of the expansion of the United States. There was all this land westward that eventually the United States would claim and conquer, and this was tremendous amount of opportunity. If you had nothing to basically go settle this land, the government was going to give you land for nothing. All you had to do was head out there for the most part and do something semi-productive with a land like farm. So because the United States had many unestablished areas, there was a ton of opportunity and that basically kept this individualistic and entrepreneur attitude going for a very long time. Now, there have been times of essentially less opportunity, though. For example, I would say the 70s saw had less opportunity than, let's say, the 50s, who, you know, there's a major economic boom in the United States during that time, or the 2000s would saw the rise of the internet in a dramatic way. But back to the topic of immigration, the United States has always been a melting pot of cultures. So there is some sense of maintaining your cultural identity, but there's also a sense of you joining together and adopting this American way. It's because of this melting pot of American culture that many immigrants were able to eventually be accepted in America. So I'm going to use two examples here, and that's the German people and the Italian people. And when they both came to the United States, they were not accepted. Many people, especially from the populace, pushed back against these immigrants moving here and settling in this land. But eventually they would become accepted into the culture. Now, this isn't to say they didn't face discrimination because they definitely did, especially the Italian people because they were darker skin colored. 
one big reason as to why they became accepted in America is because they adapted the American way. So many immigrants believe that hard work and dedication would lead to their happiness and success. And the American populace seeing this thought of them as hard workers who wanted to be here and weren't just people, I guess, abusing the system, as you often hear today. But it was a while before the Americans saw immigrants in this light. I mean, it took many Americans working with these immigrants for many years before they came to accept them as hardworking people rather than just people here to abuse the system or taint America or whatnot. Anyway, so this idea that work and dedication can lead to success is a key factor in the concept of the American way. So, America, for the most part, is a merit system. Your ability to do a job shows the chances of you getting that job. Likewise, your odds of getting a promotion are based off of how well you do your current job and the job you would be promoted to, how well you would possibly do that. Now, this isn't to say that there haven't been cases of discrimination in the United States. There definitely has been. But America definitely does better about this merit system than most nations. And I know that's not a popular statement to make because, you know, we do often, um, people often discredit America in a lot of aspects. So, though it's not the perfect system, and though there's definitely cases of discrimination, I think a lot of times people don't look at other nations. Because in France, for example, if you have a de before your last name, you're often considering considered from coming from an aristocratic family, and the odds of you getting a job are more likely or being promoted and we don't have to do deal with anything like that because you know if you have the last name of Smith or if you have the last name of Pinciotti it doesn't matter to many people so though you know we're not perfect about it our system is better now than it's ever been with discrimination and though there's definitely still traces of it that need to be defeated is definitely one of the better systems out there because from our beginnings we don't have this aristocratic background or anything like that and i'm not going to dive too much into it it's a very complex thing and i've kind of gone off on a tangent here but i just wanted to note that anyway so back to the axel um episode the united states has seen several cultural shifts throughout its history and thankfully, we've become a better nation because of it. But one thing that's always been seemingly an apparent aspect of the United States is opportunity. Though opportunity comes in different scales depending on the person and it's sometimes difficult to obtain, opportunity, hard work, and dedication to many Americans seems to be the way to succeed in life. I'm Bruce Bruchon. This is the Geopolitical Corner Podcast. Thank you for listening. You can follow the show at geo underscore corner on Twitter or Instagram, or you can follow me at Bruce underscore Bruchon, that's Bruchon, B-R-U-C-H-O-N, on Twitter and Instagram. Thank you, and have a great day.